Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with Kyle, Paul, and Jimmy. And today we're continuing our Rooks and Vets coverage of Sci-Fi's The Magicians Season 5. This is going to be Episode 8 entitled Garden Variety Homicide. And since Kathleen is not here today, I have the official sci-fi description ready to go. And that description is Josh returns from his nephew's bar mitzvah. Margot and Elliot share a mojito. <laughs> no breakfills reference is interesting. Mm-mm. And I kind of jotted down some notes about kind of things that I, I was expecting pre-episode. And I'm saying right now, n- just the knowledge of Josh returning into this show puts a smile on my face. Like, I, I'm so happy to have that energy back. And him and Margot are overdue for a conversation, of course. And then, you know, with the whole Mojito thing, I was like, all right, another Elliot Margot centric episode where maybe they talk over the Dark King, maybe over Mojitos. Like, I'm excited. Hmm. I also am really missing Katie and Zelda because we haven't seen them now for two episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least one episode uh, for Katie. And we didn't get any Katie this episode. So I don't know what's up with her or Zelda. Yeah. I just want to say, guys, that. I've been hiding in the WandaVision corner of Town TV, and I have, I'm have. i happy to be back. Jeez, for me, I've been off for like four episodes. You guys have been killing it. I, I was I was listening to the last couple episodes. Huge smile on my face. You guys are killing it with this stuff. I, I'm so happy to be back on. We're happy to have you back, Senpai, and the WandaVision corner is not a bad corner to be in. <laughs> as far as Town TV corners, not quite as good as the Cursed corner, but you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the curse is the Hall of Fame corner. Uh, I feel bad that Kathleen isn't on this episode just because of the mojito that the um, you know they share, and I can only imagine the like page and a half of notes Kathleen had. <laughs> All right, we'll do you justice. Yeah, we'll try I, our best. <laughs> we could totally say that for every episode. That girl is like in love with this show to a fault. Not actually <laughs> to a fault, but that girl loves her magicians and. I respect that. So Luke is also the guy that always goes over our buckets. So we like to, you know, compartmentalize the plots into separate buckets. This episode kind of revolved around the plot line at Break Bills with Alice, Penny, and Hamish, and then the rest of the gang in Fillory. We're going to go through Break Bills first, and then we're going to hit Fillory. So our first scene in Break Bills is going to be Hamish and Alice in the Break Bills laboratory and... We find out immediately that Alice took the kind of circumstance manipulating panel out of the greenhouse and put it into this laboratory. And Hamish comes in already heated like, I took this job because magic worked in my greenhouse and I should have known that you would just mess it up right away. Immediate sparks are flying between the two of these. Just what do you mean by sparks? What do you mean by that? Oh, I mean that there is chemistry and it is Ugh. undeniable and that Alice doesn't want to want it, but she wants it and... <sighs> We don't want it either, but I don't know. This Hamish, he's hanging around. Yeah, I was going to say, both of you guys, both the Rooks weren't feeling it last episode. Now, I don't want anything to do with them being romantically involved. B-Tums, you thought Sparks were flying when he grabs her purse and just turns it upside down, says, here, pick up all your shit. I mean, when you say it like that, it seems like I'm romanticizing this asshole. But that was part of the flirting. He was—they had a nice back and forth. He was like, "You want to mess with my greenhouse? How does this feel?" 
Honestly, that's I how, felt that's like, how beat Tom's flirts. Yeah, I'm a dick. <laughs> yeah, pull up. <laughs> Full on her ponytail, yeah. Yeah, but honestly, I could see him being so mad because in the beginning we see him getting this one plant and he's spraying it and keeping it alive. Is this a westward-facing window? That's the first plant he grabs. At the end, knowing what that plant meant to him, I can kind of see why he was super pissed off and upset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My man loves his plants and immediate I mean the epi- the the title of the episode is Garden Variety Homicide and the entire time once I knew that I was thinking this is probably going to be Hamish's last episode. I thought on that title alone that they were going to kill him off. Obviously, it is titled that for a different reason, though. So, But I was worried about Hamish. When he shakes out the purse, everything falls out, obviously. But one of those things is this, this page of notes that used to belong to Q. And Hamish is immediately interested because it's a very unique kind of schematic. And he says, well, there's some crazy stuff going on, but I don't really recognize this plant. I know a taxonomous friend who, who could probably, you know, identify what this is a picture of. So the next scene is going to be Hamish and Alice going to Dean Adiodi. And I still can't get over that Penny is the Dean. Jimmy, do you <laughs> want to comment on that? Since yeah, I feel like he hasn't been Dean since last time you were on the pod. No he hasn't i think you guys nailed it when you're talking about it it's just it's hilarious that he's the dean we got to give the props to dean fogg for all the shit he's dealt <laughs> with all all these freaking timelines and with through all the stuff that's been going on and we all we all talked about him well you guys all talked about it. he deserves his retirement but it is funny how i can't remember who brought it up it might have been paul saying that it's ironic that he, you know, he acts like he doesn't care, but he does care. So that's why it's such a good role for him right now. So, yeah, I, I'm fine with him being I'm fine with him being Dean for now. I want Fog back, though. Of course. Know? Of course. I want Fog back too. Penny. Yeah, we, we need Big Hank behind the desk. Hell Penny's yeah. not the Dean type. He was he was just barely treading water as a professor, let alone Dean. So, yeah, yeah I, I would love to see Fog 40 come back. Uh, so anyway, Hamish and Alice are trying to get clearance for Hamish's friend Raylan, the taxonomist, to come and visit to identify this plant. But he whips out the manila folder. And apparently this guy Raylan is no fuego. He's on the Dean's do not admit list. And Penny, his first instinct is, nah, screw this guy. He's not coming in. He could have like some weird interdimensional STD, like who knows what he's carrying. Fuck that. And Alice plays the cue card. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. Plays it like a goddamn fiddle. Now, and it. let me ask you guys something. As the Rooks, were you waiting for that page to come back? I mean, it, it was a big thing in the early episodes and we didn't hear about it for five episodes or so, maybe. I honestly forgot about it because a lot of things have happened, especially it almost feels like the whole apocalypse those two episodes was like a fresh slate after that like everything that happened before that barely matters and everything mm-hmm. now but i'm glad it is coming back because i'm really interested in what this is going to be about mm-hmm. but i did write and interesting a few times that you were saying sparks are flying that this was the moment that Bax recognizes that he ain't getting any of that alice punani <laughs> <laughs> so what happens here well just like her bringing up q and like how important uh, the page gotcha, is gotcha, because gotcha. of q and it might not be super obvious and I definitely me projecting a little bit, but onto his expression, but it seemed like he kind of realized like, oh, wow. Okay. It's a special thing to her. And Penny, man, Penny caved immediately. He was like, okay, we'll test him thoroughly, but then finally we'll let him in if he passes. That'll bring us to the next scene where it's Penny, Alice and Hamish, and they are testing this guy, Raylan. He goes by Ray and it's kind of a cool way to test him. He's he like chews on a root or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. And spits it out. It's purple. Apparently purple is good. Otherwise, it would be like shitting out spiders. Is that what they said? Yeah. Spine infested spiders or something like that. I Sounds absolutely horrible. Yeah. And, and it also sounds know. like Luke's worst nightmare. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this guy must know he, he doesn't have that disease because who would who would be okay with taking that test otherwise? That's actually a really, really good point. I have a question. Who does this guy look like? Like a dollar store version of someone. Uh, the dude from the uh, Jason Statham. Oh, that's <laughs> actually not a bad one. I yeah. honestly think he looks a little bit like Andy Whitfield. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull this up real quick. <laughs> our, yeah, our boy, our That's OG high praise, man. That is high praise. He's not as handsome. A N D Y. Hilarious, <laughs> actually. Holy shit! This one picture is like a bald Andy Whitfield, straight up. Like, yeah, right. I don't know. He, Jason say that was a good guess, though. I like yeah, that. Yeah, that is a good guess. <laughs> I was thinking bald guys. Funny, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he kind of fit the bill. We we also cover Spartacus, everyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug i don't know about you kyle but i was getting bad vibes from this dude from the start alice was wildly self-confident in herself like when she was chirping with this dude they had a great back and forth i thought she completely owned him but you know oh yeah she has great reason to be confident in herself yeah for sure destroyed um, him honestly i want to say i want to say a word you don't know first of all who the fuck says that? And the yeah. audacity to even say that sentence to somebody you just met. And to oh, say it to Alice fucking Quinn. Yeah. yeah. And she Who the answers, fuck do you oh, think you're talking to? Oh, uh, you're one of those. <laughs> yeah. So this guy, Ray, he obviously has a big ego, but he says that this plant is exceptionally rare, but it's definitely like a thing. He he's he's very intrigued by this by these notes. Um and he claims to be like the only person in the world that would be able to identify it. Um and he kind of ushers Alice out of the room by saying, hey, hey Toots, like get me these supplies, okay? Like let me handle this. There's tension here. But this is the first time where we see his eye kind of like freak out as Alice and Penny leave the room. So yeah, this this dude is bad news. That'll fast forward us to Alice returning for the supplies that Ray asked her to get. And she sees Hamish is like passed out on the floor and Ray is immediately making a run for the door. They have an exchange wherein she uses battle magic to push him up against the wall and he explodes. Spores comes out. Before that happened, she did kind of lock the door in and he did say to her, he had a short conversation saying just like, all right, listen, I will buy this from you. And she was like, I don't, I don't even know what it is. And then he tries to pull some magic and Alice again, just destroys him physically this time. And she was like, that was an accident. Like I just, I just pushed him and he exploded. Yeah. He popped open like a balloon. Yeah. It wasn't the best strategy for our boy, man. All he had to do is say, Oh, that this thing looks like crap. It's nothing. And just be like, nah, you don't need it. Let me just pocket this shit. (laughs) <laughs> that's so yeah, true actually, we did yeah. hype it up and then try to steal it i never even thought of that But i mean now we have alice has her confirmation he tries to run away with it he tries to buy it off her we know it's a big deal yeah and hamish comes to right as this is happening and he said you know these spl- spores are just kind of floating over the unconscious body and he's like we got to seal off this room and get out of here so that's what they do and the next time we see them is with penny in the dean's office and they're just kind of giving Penny the lowdown about what happened. Hamish hypothesizes that Ray was hosting some sort of a symbiote and kind of like sharing brain power. 
you know, we don't really know what's exactly is going on. Ray is definitely dead, but the spores will want a new host body. Penny's like, fuck this. Like, I, this is my third day as Dean. Like, I don't know how to close air vents and shit. Let's just evacuate everybody. They go outside and the first people they run into have already been zombified. So new hypothesis. This is more of a, what does he say? New theory, zombie plague situation where it could be spread to multiple hosts. So that's exactly what we have. This is a zombie episode of The Magicians. I was into that when that whole line, I was like, all right, let's go. I can get down with this. But if I'm honest, I kind of wish that it would have lasted a little longer then. Just give us the page, Alice. <laughs> also, so creepy. I think Penny overreacted a little bit to the whole like it's my third day's Dean. I don't know how air vents work. It's like I don't like are they mad? I guess maybe they're magical air vents. It's probably like the wards that you just have to. There's probably a spell to do everything on this. Yeah, that's a good point. But I I just keep thinking whenever I'm thinking of the symbiotes, I think about Venom, and they're talking about like we and he, and it's always we are Venom and we are Carnage. Love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I love how they did have conversation later on. They said, what are you doing to us? And I was like, yeah. oh, uh, I was thinking the same thing, though, because this kind of reminded me of the bank heist episode. The magicians made a conscious decision to say, all right, we want to have a bank heist episode. I wish they did that with the zombie plague episode, you know, and spent more time drawing out the plot. But it was fun. Where else do they go? Yeah. Then to the prisoner Dean Fogg from Timeline 17. Yep, mm-hmm. And he's in the clean room right now. So they're just trying to get a solution for this for this mess that they're in. And he he tries to leverage it like, first of all, he owns Penny. He's like, oh, you, you bring some guy who's traveled all around the world. He's he's traveled to whatever planet or something that is. And you're going to assume he doesn't have other diseases that we can't test for. Come on, yeah. bro. If he's crazy enough to go to Insanzia, then it means he's crazy enough to go to God knows where else and pick up things they don't even know how to test for. Yeah. yeah. Dean Fogg says straight up, you're the worst Dean in history. And then he says, I have the solution, but you know, I obviously want to go free in exchange for this solution. And he says that he developed a potion with a Dr. Maria Pilkin. And right there, he just loses his leverage because Alice is just like, ooh, too bad for you. She's dead in this timeline, and they released all of her work after she died. So it's probably just in the library. So Dean Fogg, poor guy, cannot get his release. And as they're walking out, he stops Penny, and he's like, I will get out of here, and then I'll turn you into lobsters and eat you. <laughs> this fog is crazy. Yeah, he's I- not a poor guy. Kyle, the more I th- I listened to the last episode that we did, and you said that there was a fog vacuum that they have already filled, and you said that you still think that Fog 40 is going to come back. I don't know that he is. I think Fog 17 is the new Fog. No. <laughs> I think that's our guy. Nah, I refuse to give up on Hank. Okay. You think uh, Evil Fog was hitting the hitting the chick he made the, po- the potion with? Definitely, bro. Definitely. <laughs> Could you imagine if Todd 17 didn't die and this world had two Todds running around? That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be too much. Two, <laughs> two Dark Kings? That's that's too much. Two Dark well, Kings. Where has Todd been? I feel like Todd should be involved. Why is Todd not part of the gang? And they go to the physical kids cottage and Todd's not there? Like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> he's too expensive, bro. They can only have him in so many episodes. Yeah, he's, right. he's an A-lister. He's yeah. on another Netflix <laughs> show. He's busy. <laughs> he's a beast. I wish he was in Fillory right now with the squad, but yeah, I don't know. We haven't seen Todd for a bit. I hope we get some more. 
Anyway, so now that they know that they need to find Dr. Pilkin's book, they go to the library and there's this this scene where Alice like sneaks in. She says, because there are zombies crawling all through the library. And she says, good thing I have practiced being invisible from high school. And she kind of like weaves through the stacks to find the book. And as she's about to leave, one of them catches her eye, chases her out. Penny knocks him out. So now they have the book with the solution to the zombie plague and they have a, a guinea pig to test it on. This is so frustrating because they can't use magic again. It just feels like season three all over where like the plumbers just turned everything off. It's it's so frustrating and they knew they were going to do it. And now they're like, oh, shit, we got to fucking clean up our mess. I would like to know if I, I think Kathleen and Luke were the only ones who read the book. So I can't ask you guys, but I would like to know what Alice looked like in the books, because there's no way you could tell me that that Alice was invisible in high school. Yeah, not with those, not with those bazookas. Yeah, and she does. And she has those kind of lines all the time in the show. And I'm like, no way. OK, <laughs> I think her physical appearance in the book is supposed to be more like her personality, like kind yeah. of a, a scrawny, nerdy looking person. Kind of like how Hermione and Emma Watson in the books and it versus the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's not supposed to be that hot. No, she's supposed to have buck teeth, bushy hair. Like what you going to do? I ain't complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, when they (laughs) casted Hermione for Sorcerer Stone, they probably didn't know how much of a fox that she was going to grow up to be. That's true. That's true. That's a very good point. Anyway, that'll bring us to Hamish and Alice in the physical cottage. And they're just trying to, you know, talk through what's going on, try and figure out a solution. Actually, that's not true. They already have the solution. Sorry, let's back up. What the fuck happens this scene? They go back to Dean Aote's office, which is just, I'm so not used to saying that either, B-Toms. I'm totally on board with you. And they end up making this potion from the book, and it works. The spores jump out of this guy who was previously affected, but it jumps right into Penny. And he hits us with a, just give us the page, Alice. So dumb, dude. They are smarter than that. And and I just want to say the symbiote totally missed their their chance not jumping into Alice in the very beginning. I was waiting during my rewatch. I'm sitting there and it comes out. They come out of uh, our boy Ray and they're just sitting there. And I'm like, your boy, your boy, Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't say nothing about it. It's your boy. (laughs) Your boy. But they just sit there. They don't go into Alice. They go into Alice. They got the page. They're out. They're living the dream. Yeah, I was also upset at like their whole idea was just Bax and Penny are going to hold this guy down with their arms. It's like, come on. We got Alice Quinn. We're better than this. We could have figured out a better solution. Yeah. But we got to move the plot along. So now that Penny is infected, that'll bring us to Hamish and Alice in the physical cottage thinking about what they need to do next. And Hamish, you know, because he doesn't know what the sentimental value suggests just giving the spore the note. And he he has the audacity to say, would Quentin want you to die for this? She gives shoots him daggers and says, back the fuck off, botanist. That was <laughs> totally the best deserved. line of the episode, Such I thought. Such a good line. Yeah. There's I, a lot of good Elliot and Margot, obviously, because they're I was just the best. Just about to say. But that was my favorite line of the whole episode. It just hits so hard. And he knows immediately. He's like, okay, maybe I stepped a little too far there. I, I think he only broached the subject because he was preparing to tell the story that he tells right now. And it's, you know, the background of his Scottish primrose and his his late wife, who obviously passed away, who took care of this super delicate thing that that could even 
you know, die if a blade of grass fell on it. And it was a huge point of pride for her. So they kind of relate the two things. They both lost someone. It's a nice moment. This is actually a scene where I started to think that these two are just meant to be friends, but I kind of like them as friends. You know, they challenge each other. Luke said last episode, he's an inquisitive mind. Like they're good dialogue partners. So I'm about the friendship. I loved this scene. I thought it was far and away the best of the break bills storyline it's just a really really great conversation kyle i want to know because i kind of like hamish as a character um and neither of us ship these two and you talk a lot of shit when i broach the subject of him and alice being together but do you like the character hamish oh yeah just don't try to get in alice's panties (laughs) back to fuck off that is that's a (laughs) <laughs> That's a really good point, though, that you brought up earlier. He is an inquisitive mind, and it is cool to see Alice be able to bounce ideas like off of him and kind of figure stuff out. Yeah, it's weird because Penny is not that Penny has been a pushover this whole season. I'm just gonna say it. He once he lost traveling, he's like useless. He's the dean, like <laughs> legitimately useless. No, nobody like. Like Alice met this Hamish guy a week ago and he's already higher on the pecking order of who she can bounce ideas off of. <laughs> yeah, and he even becomes Dean and that gives him power to do things and he doesn't really use it to do anything. I do love just us getting more botany info in general. I mean, that's just cool world building. I didn't really want it. I, I wasn't like, oh, I hope we get like some plan explanations, but like we, we get it and it's just so cool. I just want to say, as someone who didn't get to be on the last podcast, Dave's answer about why he would bang Hamish was was awesome. He's like, we'll bang, and then he'll just find, find me some uh, plants and roll some coast for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know where Dave's head's always at. Oh, man. And to close out this scene, though, Alice, Alice kind of just like has a brain blast and looks at Hamish and says, I think I know what to do. Next time we see them is Alice alone sitting in the Dean's desk and zombie Penny comes in. And I really like how these spores are like, they're not like zombies, you know, they kind of like talk and are able to reason with other people. Like Paul said, like he offered to buy the note off of her originally. So it's like a a sentient being, I guess. But this scene is Penny is coming to collect. He says, essentially, I could turn you into a spore or you could just give me the notes. Either way, I'm going to get it. And Alice just kind of like talking to him, kind of kind of just distracting him, I guess you would say. And she says, okay, I'll give you the page only if you tell me why you want it. And we finally get the explanation of what this page is. So the Spore explains that the notes are an instruction manual for something called the World Seed. And the World Seed is a magical botanical organism. The legend is the seed is pure potential. With the right nurturing, it can grow into almost anything, even an entire world. So this is a very powerful magical object, I would say. And Kyle, I don't know about you. This is a very interesting plot point for me. I think this this has a lot of potential to be like fucking anything. I, I'm really excited about where they're taking this. Yeah, I like the idea of it. Although I will say that it, it does just kind of feel weird midway through the last season that this, you know, it, it almost has the vibes of like the seven key quest where it could have been an, an entire season on its own. And now we're kind of just getting in on the second half. I mean, I just feels like they literally have nothing to do with break bills. So this isn't a bad thing for them to put in there, but it does feel like it should just be its end season. Yeah. I mean, it's to their defense. And I guess you guys will have to see what happens, but they didn't know this is the series finale this season. So, 
but I, I just think it's really cool that this seems like an end game kind of magical object and it came from Q. You know, it's that's a really good point too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Which, do you guys have any theories about why he even had it? I'm, it seems like Alice knows. Yeah. I at the end good. of this scene, she kind of, it, you know, her expression, the tone of her voice. And I was trying to think, and I literally have no, the only thing I could think about was that he was trying to use it to bring her back to life. So like she might try to use it to bring him back, but I don't know if that's the angle they'll take. He was doing it to grow another Alice Quinn, and he yeah, was just going to have his yeah, own personal. Have a, have a golem of, of Alice made from the magical seed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from his magical seed. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. So in the middle of uh, this conversation, Penny kind of grabs the paper, and he's about to walk out. He's not giving too much of an explanation. And then all of a sudden, he starts leaning onto the wall because he can't walk, and he starts falling over, saying, well, what are you doing? Like, what's what's happening right now? And Alice is just a genius. She said, hey, like, we recognized you could have jumped into all of our bodies, but you didn't. You only jumped into one when you had a chance to jump in all three. That means you didn't want to spread yourself out, which means if we spread it to everybody else and it cuts to Hamish, and he's like, oh, I'm just a teacher inspecting you, infecting you with the spore from God knows where, like, this teacher stuff, don't worry about it. And he spreads it so thin that basically – he said at the very end, Alice says, oh, don't worry. You're not going to die. You're just getting much quieter, which is yeah, so So everybody, these people are still hosting it, but it's yeah. spread so thin. It's consciousness just can't even affect their body or mind. Like it's so when in like 40 years or 50 years, if they slowly start dying, do you think those students are all of a sudden just going to be taken over? My <laughs> thoughts. Exactly. <laughs> I literally had that same exact thought and I was going to say it. I just, I, I was shocked that this is the ending of it. They just infected everyone. And then she says, you'll be a part of them forever. I was like, what? <laughs> Kyle, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about something that, that B Tom's in and Paul don't know, but Carnival Row, it's like, it's like Orlando Bloom situation where he makes the dark, the, the mini dark ash. And he's like, I'm good with that. I don't care. Yeah. It's like, like oh, yeah, it'll never die until you die. He's like, all right, throw it in the jar. We also car- cover Carnival Row, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, that's a great point. It's so similar. Of just yeah. not really understanding the future implications of what you're doing almost. Yeah. I mean, it's fine as a temporary fix for the moment to like dodge them. But like, hopefully they went back and like cured those people. I just loved the cutscene of back spraying these students with this spore because if you were a freshman at break bills and a professor walked up and did anything to you you would be like i don't know what's going on like yeah spray me up dude didn't he just i mean didn't he just say don't worry like professor business or something like that like Mm -hmm. what would you know maybe he's i don't know like i'd be like bro you just got hired this week man i don't know who you are (laughs) His his job interview was just god awful, and this is like his second or third day, if that, and he's already just infecting innocent students with this. You know the physical kids are down with any outside substance, man. Oh, that's yeah. a good point. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Fuck it, put it in it, put it in my body. If it doesn't kill me, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So to wrap this up, Penny, the real Penny, finally comes to, and he just like realized what happened, and it's just like this is the worst fucking job ever. Penny hates <laughs> his life right now, being the dean. That was the and best line. He's just like this fucking sucks. I've been the dean for what, like a week. He's just so done with it. But Alice 
Alice is so smart. She's like, do you remember why you wanted this, these notes so bad? Like, what were your intentions? And it starts Penny strains, but he can kind of remember some things. And he says, I wanted it to sell. There was a huge debt I had to pay. When the couple came to collect, they didn't ask any questions. He remembers being scared shitless of this couple, the couple. And he says they're very powerful. They have resources and they've been looking for this world seed page for a long time. They are not good people. So the couple seems like they're going to be causing some trouble coming up. Yeah. So Rooks, what do you think? Another big bad? Are they just another pit stop on the way the Dark King finish? I I had my doubts last episode that Dark King is endgame because I, yeah. I, I'm just so conflicted that he's like an actual bad guy like Margot and Elliot or Margot was this episode. She's like, I, I don't get it. This guy doesn't seem bad. So I don't think Dark King is endgame. I think the couple might be. Okay. Yeah, the whole concept of the world seed, like you said earlier, Jimmy, seems very endgame. I would want the couple to be like some extraterrestrial being. You know, I hope it's not just two humans or maybe they have infested humans. I'm okay with it being like a parasite or a symbiote too, but I'm interested to see because I'm so curious of how this symbiotic fungi could have a debt to like what kind of, like what kind of being does a fungi have a debt to? Mm-hmm. Eh. He, he had a, he, I don't know. You could have yeah. control a certain amount of body. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> no, I agree. That's so weird. That is cool, though, that he's conscious enough to be able to like go around making deals. It's very magicians-like, so I, because this show is so out there, I have no idea how to even peg down what the couple could be. I think it was Penny's last line was, and it begs the question, what the fuck was Q doing with this paper, man? I was like, doesn't Alice thing. say like I think I know or something like that? I just, I just remember having the, it was the all feeling her, that she knows. Okay, yeah. It was on her face. She had a facial expression, which I think is supposed to lead us to believe that she's got some idea what's going on. But that is also contradictory to this whole episode where she's trying to figure out what the page is. So maybe she knows, like, what could she know? Because this whole season, she's been looking for answers about the page, you know? Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, she got info that now she knows it's the world seed that can grow into yeah. anything, even an entirely new world. So I don't yeah. know maybe he was trying to idea. grow a new world where Alice is still alive and then she's going to grow a whole new world where Q's still alive. So if it's and Penn and Josh are together or Fenn and Josh are together. rather. So if they said it is infinite potential, he gave the example of it could make a new world. If it could make a brand new world, then a brand new human doesn't seem that far off so yeah maybe q was using it to remake alice and now alice might do it to remake q what do you guys think i know you guys don't really want a q appearance or at least you said you didn't really want it in the early episodes i don't know i mean they could (laughs) i i think i still think that but i could definitely be sold on a q comeback if like the last scene is like him and alice like with a nice thoughtful embrace and then we fade to black i I can live with that Yeah, I said I I don't necessarily want Q because of how powerful his death was. But at the same time, if I see Q, I'm going to be happy, like really, (laughs) really happy. So like I want Q, but like I don't need Q. I just want to devil's advocate you here, Kyle, because if they do that and they fade to black and they didn't know it was the series finale, that means Q's back for season six. And you didn't want him to be back full time, though, right? 
Yeah, but I'm not thinking about this whole you're season just, six shit now. Yeah, you're just down. In the moment, that. I'm like, let's fucking go! All right, all right, all right. Fine. And... I believe that's a wrap on break bills, right? Any lasting thoughts, Kyle? I'm pretty good. I think we touched on everything. I'm excited to find um, out more about the couple, honestly. I can't yeah. even... It's so hard to hypothesize like theories for what's going to happen in the next episode because everything is so far out there in this show. Like It's impossible to predict. I saw a scuba diver coming out of the water yeah. two episodes ago and thought it legitimately thought it was a kraken. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way to predict things in this show. The, the fucking whales, like... What? Do you guys <laughs> do you guys think Hamish is gonna be a part of the group for Endgame? Do you think he's just gonna run his course in the next couple episodes? I mean, we only got a couple left, but I hope so. I think that Beethoven's made a good point that him and Alice are good scene partners in terms of the conversations they can have. He's definitely useful. Like Paul said, the body angle is really cool, something we haven't had. I hope I mean him and Josh could fucking vibe, I'm sure. So I would like to see him be part of the squad. But I could also see him sacrificing himself. I mean, we already know he's got a tragic backstory. What does he really have to live for is a weird way to say it, but it's kind of true. You know, he's lost his wife. I could see him going out like a hero. If we know one thing about the magician's writers, we know that they can make someone that we don't really care about that much turn into a really great character pretty damn quick. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like Hamish. I, I could see him being endgame just because of the relationship that's going with Alice. And Alice, apparently Penny is worthless, so Alice kind of needs someone to be mm-hmm. her number two. So, yeah, Hamish fits the bill. But Penny's about to be a dad, too. Oof. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. So, yeah, that'll finish off break bill. So let's take it to Fillory, and we get... This this first scene is the cold opening of the show, and it's these kids playing Ring Around the Rosie, and an old woman is kind of like pretend chasing them around. She hears like a twig snap, goes to investigate, and when she comes back, these kids are gone, alludes to the takers took them. And that'll bring us to the freaking squad. I loved this first scene, just seeing the gang back in Fillory. Fen, Josh, Elliot, Margot, and Julia, let's go. That is a great squad. So it, good to see Josh motherfucking Hoberman back. Immediately yeah. dropping like the Jewish quotes like from his bar mitzvah. I love it. So Julia is just like briefing them. They're talking about these six kids are missing and they're just saying something has to be done. This is this is a bad situation we're in. Elliot starts to blame himself because last episode he acquired the gold for Seb for him to summon the takers and josh says i go away to my nephew's bar mitzvah for one week and everything's for cocked <laughs> dude's a legend uh margo says all right guys we we gotta kill this this dk dark king's gotta die josh, josh is, is turned off by the the whole concept of it because he's like well you know my nephew's torah was all about the sanctity of life so can we do the like a like a peaceful transition of power <laughs> it's like this fucking guy <laughs> I loved it so much. He was like, it really, he was holding his hands together. It really moved me. I was like, Josh, dude, do you know like who you're in the room with and what they've done? Exactly. They pretty much shrug it off. King Mark of the Destroyer. (laughs) (laughs) 
They kind of start brainstorming it. Margot says immediately, no, this can't be peaceful. He has an army, like the public is on his side. We got to kill him and got to be over with it. Margot also notes that Dark King has survived seven assassination attempts. He's obviously 300 years old, but he's tried to be killed and survived all seven assassination attempts, which is noteworthy. So this guy's not to be trifled with. Julie says, hey, I'm here to stop the apocalypse that the pig man sent me on. And it's sounding like he was describing this whole Dark King situation. So I'm on board. And they all agree that unfortunately, Elliot is the one that's perfectly placed to do the deed. And our mans can't catch a break. We're a cook, a maid, an army grunt, a Julia, hmm. <laughs> and a counselor slash confidant. And they're like, oh, shit. Like, I guess it has to be that last one. I would like to mention that Fenn has the quote, I doubt you can just walk up and stab the guy. And I wrote right after she said that, that Fenn is going to do exactly that this episode and kill him. And unfortunately I was wrong, but You're there's still time though. for that to happen. I think it's going to end game, end game, end game, end game. <laughs> it's going like to be Fenn. I hope so. I need like Fenn to defend Fillory like that. I need it. She Even though it's probably it. going to be Elliot. She does deserve it. Could I'm you not- imagine though that, you're Elliot, basically the dude that you love just died not too long ago. You're kind of finally crushing on another dude, and then all your friends are like, hey, do us a favor and kill him. Yeah, we got to kill this guy too, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely no bueno. Margo should know of all people. I mean, she knows like this has to be done, but at the same time, she should be expecting Elliot to just break. I mean, mm-hmm. he's on the verge at any point in the last five seasons with everything that he's dealt with, with all of his lo- the people that he's loved dying. Well, that is kind of the next scene that we get is Elliot and Margot just kind of having a sidebar in a hallway at White Spire. And Margot walks up to Elliot talking to Charlton about it, that he's conflicted about assassinating Seb. And Charlton's just saying, you got to tell them like you this has to work. You got to tell them if you're not going to be able to do the deed. Enter Margo, who <laughs> notes that he's talking to somebody, and Elliot gives her the cold shoulder. She's just like, all right, it's that Elliot, like I'm done. And I like this quote. Charlton's like, hey, listen, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to say this, but like I truly don't understand why you don't at least tell Margo. You guys are best friends, like what the hell? So Elliot finally admits to Margo that he might not be in the best headspace to assassinate him. He might not be able to pull the trigger. And Elliot's pretty sympathetic, or excuse me, Margot's pretty sympathetic and says, hey, as long as you can find his his pivotal weakness, then I promise you, you will not be the one that has to pull the trigger. And Elliot's saying, how? Like, how can you possibly say that? She says, I don't know, but you're my friend and I'm going to figure it out. And it's just, it's hard to love them anymore than you already do. But goddamn, they always find a way. She is just an absolute gem, man. She's like, what do we do when we get crushes? We bang them out. <laughs> that's just like not what he wanted to hear at all. But that's just that's what Margaret's bringing to the table. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Elliot also notes that no person should ever have to kill someone that they just slept with more than once because he had to do that with what was his name? Mike. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. And now he has to do it with Seb, too, which is very reasonable. Once is okay, but like more Dude, than once, that's too much. He's just crushing on those bad boys, man. <laughs> pick pick somebody else. Uh, and then we get hit with the title sequence. And it's just, you just look at it more and more every time. And it's just so cool, all the stuff they put in that you didn't even realize. I mean, they have 
What did you see this time that you didn't like, realize before? Just the whales in the top right yeah. corner going by. And then like the Dark King insignia up on the top left hand. It's almost like like the cross. It's the badge that Elliot wears. Nice. It's just so cool. Yeah, I didn't know that they did that in the opening sequence until like last season. I was like, ah, that's cool. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. So next scene we get is going to be back at White Spire. It's a Julia and Fenn scene. <laughs> And Julia walks up to Fen, who's just sweeping the halls because she's a maid. Love that running joke. And Julia's just like, hey, I'm feeling off. If I was on Earth, I would know what to do. But is there any like leaf I could chew on in Fillory to tell if I'm... Then it's like a smash cut to Julia holding this bunny who's screaming, pregnant, pregnant. pregnant. That was a really good bunny voice, dude. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's just, they're back, dude. They're back with a vengeance, Kyle. I didn't listen, but did you keep in your bunny from last episode? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was oh, yeah, good. Bunnies are the fucking best. So Julia's pregnant. That's news. And um, you know what that means, right? She's officially a MILF. Not so officially. I was going to uh, say. Well, I guess. Yeah. yeah are, you, are you technically a mom when you're pregnant? I would say no. All right. Well, then fuck me. You're an expecting mother. Okay. E-MILF. Well, then just cut that. <laughs> She's an email. Okay. Email, babe. <laughs> an email. We'll allow it. Emails are MILFs too, Jimmy. Hell yeah. So let me ask you guys who was it? Which one of the rooks last episode brought up the fact that you thought Jenny 23 wasn't going to last? I mean, they still might not, but. Yeah, it was me. And honestly, I was thinking about that in the car today. I wanted to double down because Kyle was saying that's like a realistic end to Julia's goddess story arc. And I'm like, no, it wouldn't be. She's like half-assing this relationship with Penny. Julia is not the kind of person that needs a man. Like, she does not necessitate a husband. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, I, I, I I, feel both of you guys on whatever you were saying. I was just saying, does anything change now that you know that she has this scene with the bunny? Not for me, because this whole episode is her, like, wrestling with her feelings. But go ahead, yeah. go. I think it's just funny that this is like the one show or I'm sorry, the one relationship on the show that we kind of have questions about. And now it's becoming far and away. This is the most serious thing to happen in any of the relationships across all of the seasons. And it's happening to the relationship that we hate the most or that we don't like or we like the least, I guess you could say. I don't want to say hate. But I, do, I thought it was interesting that she says that Penny and I are in a weird place. She doesn't say they're broken up. She doesn't say they're not together. They're just in a weird place. And I don't know if she would have said that before she found out that she was pregnant because the pregnancy obviously puts them in a weird place. But she obviously cares about him. And the pregnancy is the perfect scenario for Mr. Wants to Settle Down Penny. So I'm interested to see how he reacts to it. Fen is just the best. She's like, oh, I don't, I don't even know why I'm crying. Just, ah, babies. <laughs> Julia also continues to say, you know, me and Penny are in a weird place. Can we keep this a secret just between you and me? And Fen's like, don't even worry about it. I'm so good at keeping secrets. I've kept Elliot's fear of butterflies secret for years. Until now, shit, <laughs> she gets so pissed at herself. And just that facial acting is ridiculous. I love her. We get an amazing payoff, too, on the Elliot uh, being afraid of butterflies later. Yeah, we do. <laughs> So the next scene we have is Elliot and Margot just kind of talking shop and Josh comes in 
through the door with a nice plate of macaroons and he offers him some and Margot is having none of it. She's like, all right, Hoberman, nice try. Get the fuck out of here with those macaroons. And Elliot's like, all right, like, I get that you don't want to talk to him, but we can at least take the snacks. Margot says, no, 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 no. Those are traps, not snacks. That dude's like an emotional ninja. So Margot is still avoiding this inevitable Josh conversation. But she says that this whole situation gives her an idea. And then we get the next scene is Elliot walking into the Dark King's quarters with a plate full of macaroons. I just want to take the time that once again, Kathleen isn't here to talk a little shit on Margot, And she was acting way out of pocket in that scene. <laughs> she, they, she slams the door and looks at, I was like, can you believe that guy? And Elliot's like, yeah, like, what do you mean? <laughs> he was bringing us snacks. That's nice. That's what he does at every other scene he's in is bring everyone snacks. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if all of his baked goods are like edible. On the sh- like for the castmates yeah. and stuff, that would be yeah. awesome. I hope so. <laughs> I hope he actually Trevor actually does it himself. He actually bakes them himself. We'll get him on the pot and ask him about yeah. that. Mm. The Dark King is looking depressed in his chambers. He's like curled up in the fetal position, leaning against the wall, looking out a window. And Elliot goes over, puts the macaroons down, doesn't even offer him one, and he's freaking out, saying, "You know, six kids. Like I could have been there to save them." But I wasn't. And he just hates himself for it. And Elliot's like, hey, being a king's hard. And Elliot goes as far as to say, you know, have you ever thought of stepping down? Like, do you need to do this? Obviously still thinking that he doesn't want to kill him. So maybe if you get Seb to step down, that would achieve the same goal. And Seb is pretty insistent that this is my burden. And then he references, he says, this is all because of a choice I made a long time ago attached to a conduit. I thought it was the only way that I could save Fillory. And then he just kind of like trails off and doesn't explain it any more than that. So he's being very vague, but he made a choice a long time ago, has something to do with a conduit to save Fillory. I didn't really I'm know getting what to make of it. a little bit of this might not be the best comparison and I'm not huge. I don't know a ton about like Watchmen lore, but it kind of sounds almost Ozymandias like where it's like, I have to do this evil thing to kind of unite everyone. If Fillory isn't united against this, yeah, against this one evil, then it's going to fall apart for various reasons that we don't know yet. That's the only way I can think that he truly believes what he's saying, because it does seem like he actually believes what he's saying. But it's a weird way that he's like, you know, this is my burden, but he's creating, actively creating the burden that he then has to then deal with. I, where my head goes immediately is that there is someone higher up on the food chain than the dark king that is threatening all of fillery and essentially saying if you don't someone who has something to gain from the takers terrorizing fillery and seb is just the middleman yes someone or some two people yeah couple and that's what i'm thinking the couple because i I even said on the last podcast episode that I think Endgame could be everybody squatting up, including the Dark King. I don't know. Dark King has so many redeemable qualities, but that could all just be a red herring. And I I like it because the characters like Margot and Elliot are right where I'm at right now, not knowing if we can trust this guy or not. So B-Times, you're thinking that when Seb is actually saying, like acting depressed and saying, all right, six kids, this is awful. He's not acting. He's you think that he's actually upset about it. I think it seems genuine. Yes. And I'm not. Yeah. 
because you see Elliot's face when he like he kind of like responds like, "All right, this dude's kind of lying to me." Yeah, it, yeah, but at the same time, Elliot also doesn't know if it's a lie or not. Elliot's definitely still trying to help this guy out. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But mm-hmm. he kind of like rolls his eyes a little bit when he says it. Because, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, all I was gonna say was nothing. I guess turns them on more than talking about dead kids because they just start smooching right away without any other signs or anything. And this is a new segment. Um, Kyle and B times you haven't been uh, around for this yet, but there's a segment called Paul's sexiest scene of the episode. Seb is fucking chiseled, dude. Okay. <laughs> Excuse my French, but he's got cum gutters. Like straight <laughs> up. It's it's unbelievable. He I, I, I all right, that's it. That's all well, I have to and say. He's tatted too. They made it they made a real point about his uh, tat. Yeah, yeah. Paul's sexiest scene, man. I can't wait for the future segments. <laughs> I was unaware of this, but if this is our first official segment, I'm so on board. It, Second it made, official. It made its debut in WandaVision. Mm. last episode love it so yeah we get that kissing scene and seb turns the sexiness off and backs away apologizes says like "Ooh, i lost myself it, it's weird now it's so weird it's weird i just want to say that he i would say he more pushes the sexiness away i don't think seb is capable of turning his sexiness off that's true touche semantics but you know important i'm with you Next scene in Fillory. Oh, yeah. See? Elliot. He, he just walks out all blue balled, and we were like, where do we go from here? And we all forgot. Because it was so sexy. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the cum gutters. Damn. Yeah, we're all yeah. dickmatized right now. True. So yeah. it just has that way. This next scene is going to be Elliot reporting back to the squad what he learned about Seb and, you know, the vague description of this conduit that he has. And Josh is the only one who has heard of a vitality conduit. And he says, vitality conduit is a naturalist ritual. The most common application is drawing the life force out of something like a stalk of corn to fight a summer cold. So obviously, if Seb is using a vitality conduit, much more powerful magic than stalk of corn to fight a summer cold. Elliot suggests because of the tattoo being a tree that the conduit could be some sort of tree. And Fen raises her hand like, ooh, ooh, I know. And Elliot's like, dude, you could just talk, Fen. And she says that that's a Blackwood tree. Like, I know. And then she just goes right back into the crowd. So in theory, Josh says that if they can cut down Seb's conduit tree, then he will be able to be killed. And Josh says, hey, I'm a naturalist. I can go locate this tree, but I kind of want someone to come with me like a partner in case things go south. And Julia can't do it because she's got toe worms. (laughs) She wanted to go, but Fen said, no, 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 no. You stay. Lots of misinformation out there about toe worms. Apparently, (laughs) Fen has toe worms and she doesn't even have toes. So she got them from (laughs) the wooden toes, bro. Yeah, she has the wooden toes. uh, Okay, so the wooden toes count. All right, all right. 
So okay. Josh, yeah, Josh was like, "Oh, I thought you could only get them with wooden toes." Oh, yeah. <laughs> ben shit. says, dude, "Classic, classic case of misconception, dude." Dude, exactly. Jimmy getting caught up in the misinformation. I hate to call you dumb in front of all your friends, Jimmy, but God. I know, and I'm a vet too. Oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> she turns it right back on Josh. Says, "I have toe worms. You're gonna make me take a hike?" <laughs> and Josh is like, "No, no, I would never." So then, naturally, the next person that they go to is Margot. So. <laughs> Julia says that her and Fen are going to try and create a problem that requires two magicians to fix, allowing Elliot the perfect moment to kill Seb because Seb would go to his magical advisor, Elliot, to try and handle some cooperative magic. Elliot expresses that he is still torn about assassinating Seb, and this is when Margot and Elliot kind of walk away together, and Elliot's kind of heated because Margot promised that he wouldn't have to be the one to pull the trigger. And that's where he just grabs the can or the uh, the flask, thinking it's a mojito, guzzles it, and they totally freaky Friday. It's time to switch bodies over you, bitch. <laughs> it was so good. Can we just take a moment to imagine Hale Applebaum studying Margot's film, <laughs> Wait, watching the show. <laughs> yeah. I hate to call you stupid in front of all your yeah. friends. Go back, dude. Applebaum, <laughs> Apple. Apple men. Who's Apple Bomb? <laughs> Tannen bombs. So we're gonna cut that. Yeah, right? yeah. No, do it again because there's gonna be a good thing to say. No, no, no. I do don't it again, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so just picture Hale Appleman watching this show just to study Margot and the little nuances that of her personality and the little quirks that she has. And then just nails it completely perfectly. I thought they were both really good. I thought Summer was incredible about trying to act as Elliot. Mm-hmm. Mm. I thought she was unbelievable at it. I, mean, I thought both... I thought the other way. I thought that he was so good at being Margot. Really? Wait, like hmm. the inflections he puts on words, like the little phrases he ended on the end of things, the insults. It was all like very, very, very Margot. The way he would like open his eyes and like get real wide at the end of his sentences when he's just like threatening or something like that. It was just too funny. The way that he stood with his foot. Oh, my God. Yeah, they both probably had so much fun with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, this was a dream for the two of them. I'm sure they probably cracking up at it. Yeah. After that Freaky Friday, they're kind of just talking about it. Elliot's a little pissed, but... Margot tells him, yeah, this is the only way that you wouldn't have to be the one to technically assassinate Seb. Like, I'll do it in your body, whatever. She also describes that there's a caveat to using this potion. If either of them tell anybody else that they switched, then they can never switch back. So that's going to set us up for some hijinks later. And also Margot can see Charlton now that she's in Elliot's body, which is awesome. And she immediately says, yo, who is this guy? He can just fuck right off. And Elliot's like, no, Margot, like he could help you. Like send an (laughs) olive branch to this guy. She just looks at him and goes, stay the fuck out of my way. And it's, it's it's just so funny, man. Just watching. I, I can't even, it's, you have to watch the show to be able to realize how beautiful and piece of work this piece of artwork this is. I've managed just fine without a Tyler Durden up my cooch. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how they actually bring up to each other like, wait, why do I still why do you see Charlton? Why don't I still see Charlton? What's going on here? <laughs> oh, whatever. Just we'll just deal with it. So Margot in Elliot's body is going off to assassinate Seb, essentially. But she tells Elliot, try not to have the conversation with Josh. He's going to try, 
but try your best not to ruin our relationship. So the next scene we have is Margot in Elliot's body going to see Seven the throne room and the the imaginary issue that Julian Fenn cooked up was that the entire castle has been struck with the sleeping curse and Seb needs Elliot's help with the cooperative magic to fix it. And Elliot is talking like Margot would and Seb kind of notices that he's a little bit off. And this is the first scene where I'm like, okay, Hale is kind of killing it as Margot too. Uncomfort or whatevs. Right when he said that, I was like, this is so obvious. And Charlotte is like sitting on the throne like, this is not going well. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, that could have went better. I mean, it was she wasn't even trying to be Elliot at that point. Next scene we get is Fen and Julia. And Julia says that she doesn't want this baby or this pregnancy dictating her entire life. And Fen is actually a great confidant to share this pregnancy with. She great episode for Fen. She was giving her sound advice. She said, you know, listen, if you don't want this baby dictating your life, you have to do something about it. Like even in Fillory, abortion is a pretty simple procedure. And Julie's like, are, are you saying I should get it? She says, no, but you have to make a choice. You're letting something into your life that you can't control, but in lots of ways, it will control you. It'll make you happy, devastate you, this, that, and the other thing. And Julia says that she's been pregnant before, obviously through rape. And this time she's like, this is a much better pregnancy for me. I was kind of looking forward to just having some time to think it over. I have nine months though, but Ben's like, oh, sweetheart, what are you talking about? It's Red Monkey Month. Mm-hmm. Everything moves faster. Weirdly not monkeys, but everything else moves faster. I'll be honest. This is like one of the first times that Saini failure stuff just like didn't hit the mark for me. I thought that was just ridiculous. I mean, they didn't have much of a choice because Stella was legitimately pregnant in real life, but I was like, Red Monkey Month speeds up everything. Yeah, like harvest and everything like that. Like, eh, eh. Yeah, I feel like they have enough weird explanations for things where I was fine with it when I first heard it. Yeah, it's also funny that we never even mentioned the possibility of Julia getting pregnant, even though we know that Stella was pregnant in this season. I guess the assumption would just be they would hide it and just didn't anticipate them coming straight out in our face with the bunnies going pregnant. It's like, oh, shit, that makes a lot of sense that Julia would get pregnant. Well, how early did you guys notice that that Stella was pregnant in the show? Because it was pretty blatant. It was getting pretty blatant before they actually announced she was pregnant as Julia. I haven't really been looking for it, so I haven't noticed. Yeah, it was the it was the typical Lily Aldrin's Paul was (laughs) hiding it for the. It was only really this episode before they actually announced it, you know, like early in the episode when she's talking, you know, she's pretty, you know, you could tell she's wearing the baggy stuff and she's not normal. Julia, she's plump. You can just say it. You ever ever (laughs) be around the bus? She's a big old broad, dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's one way to say it. she still looks great though i mean Hell this is yeah. like the only problem i have i don't know florian astronomy but like they've been there for like more than a month like a, more than a year i should say so they should have heard about like red monkey month or just before or something like that but oh well but anyway it was a really cool conversation to see Fen actually kind of talk about this because she was pregnant and did have a baby and she's can you can relate and you know she's not she's not bullshitting to julia when she's giving her advice she's actually saying things from the heart i rock with them as scene partners too i think those two have a very interesting connection because Fen is so fucking goofy and julia is very quick 
So she kind of catches on to Fen's jokes. And like the whole way that Julia dealt with the toeworm stuff, like Julia was right on it. Wasn't happy about it, obviously, because Fen's wacky and it came out of left field. But I mean, Julia even finished this whole conversation with, yeah, like me and Fen will figure this out, assuming our toes can handle it, you know? So <laughs> I think that Julie and Fen's kind of the combo of the two of them is really, really nice. And I'm glad it's, and I'm even, especially with this topic, because like you said, Paul, Fen has the experience with it. I thought this was a really nice scene. It's nice when Fen gets taken seriously. Because she's usually like the kind of the brunt of all the jokes, but it's nice when people actually sit down and have conversations. Like before in the apocalypse, when Elliot sat down with Josh, that's like just a weird conversation where I was like, oh, that was beautiful. Was that a, did you just kiss your fingers right there? I did. Like a chef kiss? Okay. Just wanted to make sure people got that. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) So Paul is Italian. I mean, really, Fen is one of the best people to have one of those in any serious conversation with because she's like so pure and she'll just give you a good answer. You know, she's not going to be snippy. She's not going to be giving you attitude, sarcastic. She's just going to talk to you like a person. She's the bomb. So we transition from Julia dealing with her pregnancy to Josh dealing with his whole Margaret situation. But we all know that it's not Margaret. It's actually Elliot. And while they do eventually get into a serious topic, I just love how it starts out with Margot being afraid of the butterflies. And that's Elliot's fear. And he asks, he says it out loud too. And I love the reasoning behind it because he's like, you just never know where they're going to go next. That's just such a funny reason to be afraid of butterflies. And right after that, Josh is like, whoa, what's wrong? Like, do you want a macaroon? <laughs> Elliot says, I better not. And the smile that this motherfucker has on his face when he drops the line, Margot, it's a snack, not a trap. It's <laughs> such a trap. Right, he's, such a, he's an emotional ninja, man. He knows. 100%. He does take a macaroon, right? And he walks away. And I love that Elliot says, hmm, you're a little bit taller from this POV. Like, you know, Josh kind of gets a little bit real with Margo and says that he understands what she did to him and or what she did to him and Fen and kind of wants to know if now she wants to break up because they're in this weird spot or if they're even something that could be broken up. Like, are we even in a relationship? He just wants to know what's good with them. And Margo says that she can't talk other than to say that she thinks she needs more time to forgive herself. So Elliot is just trying to dodge this conversation at all costs for Margo. And Josh brings up a conversation that they had, I believe, when they're in the cage and he's about to you know, become a werewolf. And then post-coital, they discuss kind of what they are. And he says, do you remember what I said or what you said rather when I said, like, I'm not into games? Excuse me. And the line, the way he delivers it is so perfect. He goes, you said, fuck games. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Elliot even says, like, yeah, that sounds like me. That sounds like me. So good. This, I love this, this plot line that they freaky Friday'd. I I just love it so much that they get to play each other. Must have been so fun. You guys said it earlier, but it must have been so fun to act it out. The only bad part about it is us talking about it. We're saying Elliot when it's Elliot in Margo. Yeah, true, you true, know, true. Things like that. But I mean, if you saw the episode, you know what's good. Yeah. I described that in my notes like four different ways throughout my notes. Like Elliot yeah, I was going body, back and forth. Like I use parentheses and stuff. So anyway, next scene, we go back to Elliot and Seb. Elliot, actually Margo and Seb working on waking up everybody in the castle. Charlton is pissed like dude you already taught him the spell like this is going to be over too quickly Marco says relax I taught him the spell incorrectly so I can get up close and personal with him trying to like teach him how it actually works and she immediately tries to be Margo 
this has Margot's fingerprints all over it. Like goes up behind him, starts like caressing him, showing him like the hand signals for the spell. And Seb immediately pushes her off. Charlton says, I know you know how to seduce a man, but you don't know how to seduce a man like Elliot would. Seb loves his vulnerability, not his forwardness. So then she kind of dials it back and goes over to apologize to Seb. Charlton knows every little thing about Elliot. I love it. He's just been, I mean, so much time in the back of his mind. And she uh, she uses Charlton's device really well. I mean, she kind of goes up and starts working the whole dead lover angle. That's the vulnerability, obviously, that Elliot has. We've been talking about it all episode. And that kind of gets Seb to open up a little bit. He has a, Seb has a great quote in the sense that it's fucking confusing as shit when he says, I must put Fillory first, even if it means I must suffer. And I wrote in my notes that they're really pushing that angle from him of where he's like, this is my burden. Like I have to carry this for Fillory, even though we all know that it's a burden that he himself creates for himself. So it's just adding on even more. And I, Margot in this scene is kind of like, damn, like he is sincere about that quote. Like, I don't know how I feel about it now. So you guys still have no idea what his agenda is. It's impossible to tell because they're throwing it in our face that he's like kind of sincere about it. He seems to have Fillory's best interest at heart at the end of the day, which is a good thing. He can't be a bad guy if he wants what's best for Fillory, which I think he genuinely does. So, yeah, I I can't get a full read on him. I mean, Uh it depends. Like, I like the idea that you're saying that there's somebody higher than him making him do the dark king things because i mean if you're saying i'm doing this for fillery and i have takers taking six kids then he's still a bad dude yeah it's but it, but if he has somebody above him then he's redeemable because like you said i mean the way that he acts you already you're feeling for elliot and finally margo is feeling it too because the whole time she's saying all right do you get you you're, you're digmatized pretty much you know that's and now she's finally saying oh man i mean it is kind of confusing I said at the end of last episode that I didn't want Elliot to try to rationalize this, but the show is doing it for him. They're pushing the rationalization in our faces, kind of almost. Of this guy's just doing it because he cares, la da da da. Which it just you feel like I've seen enough TV in my fucking life and read enough stories that there has obviously more to it than that. You're I really like the idea of of someone being higher than him or some people being higher than him. B Tums. I didn't really consider that, but now I'm I'm in on that. I like that. What, what if Todd is the one that's above him making him do all this shit? What if he's really the dark, dark king? If I'm honest, that makes the most sense. Yeah. So I, I can get if, down with that. I just, Todd is part of the couple. I just spoil oh, it. God. Two Todds are the couple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be crazy. Would Todd be and it. Evil Todd. That would evil. be amazing. Oh my God. Or like Todd and Fog are the couple. <laughs> that would be amazing. Anyway, that'll get us to the next Josh and Margot scene. Margot, actually Elliot. And Josh just calls her out. It's just like, nope, you know what? I'm not buying it. You're being way too patient and agreeable. There is no way you're the real Margot. And Josh just, just says, I'm not taking you to this tree until you explain what's going on. I don't know if it was the lighting, the setting in the forest, the blue outfit she has on, but the one note I wrote in this scene is that she looks amazing. She looks so beautiful in this scene. I was like paused it and was like, wow. I was gonna Summer Bischel is so attractive. She is just a beautiful woman. Her hair is different too, man. She's just she's just doing it in this scene. I think this whole maybe, season maybe too. it's because it's it's we're obsessed with Elliot. I mean yeah, that, <laughs> that's such a good point. 
I love Josh's reaction. He's like, like you could be a hallucination or a shapeshifter. Like this is fucking fillery, man. Like you could be something, but you're not Margo. Yeah, you got to give Josh props because besides Elliot, he is the one that knows her best, better than anyone else. Kind of knows a more unique side to her than Elliot. Even oh knows. yeah, that's true too. Yeah, Elliot knows her better, but Josh has a little bit of a, you know a unique experience with her, obviously. Right. Although. I mean, Elliot and her have banged, technically, so. Yeah, Paul, that was a freaking sexy scene, wasn't it? It was. It was borderline sexy scene of the sexiest scene of the episode, but, you know, the Dark King and his goddamn abs. There can only be one. <laughs> uh, so, next scene goes back to Elliot, actually Margot, having this one-on-one with Charlton where she's venting and expressing like, yeah, this dark King doesn't seem evil. Like I, I don't understand it. The dots aren't connecting. The castle is just starting to wake up. Their cooperative spell was successful. And dark King says, Hey, you know, that's a wrap on this, but why don't me and you just have a second to talk in private? And Charlton says, Hey, I don't know what's good, but this kind of seems like the last chance we're going to get at the, the assassination. Then we get a cut back to Josh watching Margot, actually Elliot, attempt to locate the Blackwood tree by herself. And obviously it's not as easy as it looks. So Margot just starts begging Josh to help. And then she finally just lets him have it saying like, you know, maybe I did tell you what you want to hear, but only because you never let up. You keep trying to get me to talk about something that I don't want to talk about. You picked someone who will never put you first. There's no fixing Margot. I mean me, because chances are if I had to relive it, I'd make the same decision. So stop asking me to apologize for something I don't feel sorry about. Not that I won't feel differently tomorrow, which if that is Elliot's consciousness... That's probably what Margot is thinking in her actual head, or that is probably advice that Elliot, as Margot's best friend, would give to Josh if he wants that relationship to be successful. I just think that it's so sad that that is what gets Josh to be like, now you sound like you. Yeah. You know, her kind of berating him yeah. and being that mean to him. It's just kind of like, damn. The amount that of sucks. Time- the amount of times he's had to deal with that from Margot, you know, because he, he's had a couple of those in the past. Yeah, I'm a little upset that that is kind of the take only because, I mean, we get the scene on the balcony in episode, I believe it's what, seven or six, right after the, yeah, where Elliot says to her, you know, like you're growing, you're evolving, like I can't even catch up to you. And I feel like that's was like seasons, you know, one through four ish Margot. But I feel like in reality, I don't really think that Elliot knows how Margot actually feels about Josh. Right. I think he was making good points, but there were logical points and they were right to the sense that she would make that same decision over and over again. But you can't say it to Josh. That's the that's the thing. Like you you can't it's not that you would lie to him, but you can't be like, hey, like I would let you die if I had to do it all over again, because that just will not make him feel good in any type of way. I just like to think that Margot is confused about how she feels. I think she has the idea of herself as Margaret the Destroyer, doesn't know how to deal with the fact that she's into Josh. That's the take I like. I mean, I, that might be looking at Margot with rose cuts or glasses. I'm almost certainly positive that that is how Kathleen views it. That's the way I'm going to take it. I really hope that, I mean, they say it in a you know next scene or two scenes that Elliot quote unquote ruined their relationship, but there's no way that's fucking true. Yeah, I mean, I've always first what run through, however many run throughs, I've always taken it pretty much the way you're saying it, Kyle, where she, she has the barriers up you know she knows she cares about josh she said it a few times i mean she's had some phenomenal lines about how 
she's catching the feelings for Josh. What does she say? I think I love this guppy and you know, all the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's funny how even the other cast members or characters, excuse me, think like she's acting in a way where they just don't believe that she would actually like Josh. They're always making, they're kind of making fun of it. Not so much now, but they definitely were before, you know, even Elliot was saying like, this is just like, a wait, this is kind of weird. What's going on here? So she just doesn't, admit anything out loud that has to do with her being vulnerable and the way this ended was as b Thompson was saying josh goes okay now you sound like her there's a tree go cut it down walks away like a boss don't let him see you cry josh don't let him see you cry that's what it is i'm sad that josh is sad i'm also sad that that is what he gets for this conversation that he was probably hoping would be very productive yeah and he just kind of got like dunked on. I mean, that's I where know. you give that's where you give him the props because he obviously was hoping it was the first conversation where she she meaning Elliot was like, "Listen, I'm so I'm sorry. I just need some time to digest this, but I do regret what I did." But then he knows he's like, "No, that's not you, Margo. That's really not you." Yeah, I'm very interested to see where he goes from here. I mean, in a sense, he has a little bit of closure because they've finally had the conversation and. She, from his perspective, has spoken her mind when in reality it's Elliot's mind. I'm just really looking forward to how he reacts to it. If he tries to play it cool, he's still baking shit, trying to act like, you know, nothing's really that wrong. There's no way real Margot allows it to just be left like that. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So I think hopefully next episode we finally get the conversation that Josh deserves. But for this episode, we leave it at that for for their relationship and the next scene we get is Elliot's body, Margot's consciousness and Seb getting to talk in private. So this is Margot's big chance for the assassination. Um to begin the conversation, Seb kind of starts off alluding to having a change of heart about stepping down from the throne when Elliot brought it up. He was dismissive saying this is my my burden, but, but I forget the first words that he said, but it was like, do you remember our conversation? Are you still willing to help? Charlton yeah. explaining everything to Margot, just summarizing it so perfectly. Oh, he's he's awesome. I love Charlton. That was a great thing to introduce for this season is just Elliot's conscience in a way. I think yeah. it's great. But just as Seb is asking, you know, I'm having a change of heart. The candle turns green, which is the go ahead. The conduit tree is down. So he is vulnerable. And this was a horrible assassination attempt. She like blatantly reaches for the knife, takes like 10 seconds to unsheath it. And then like slowly puts it up to his throat. And this dude is a military man. Just like, see ya, bozo. Margo, come on. What the fuck was that, Margo? That was horrible. Like, you could at least, like, go in for a kiss and, like, try to distract him instead of staring at him weirdly for 10 seconds and then slowly pulling out a knife. It was like he did everything else perfectly. So, and then we get, this is kind of two scenes in parallel. We have Julia and Fen kind of starting to realize that it's taking too long and something must have gone wrong. They see guards are rushing down the halls to the Dark King's quarters. Um, and Fen gives Julia her extra knife, which I thought was funny because she always carries around a knife and an extra knife. Uh, and then we go back to Elliot, actually Margot and Seb. And Seb kind of has Elliot cornered, like, you know, smothered the assassination attempt. Now he has Elliot on the ropes and Margot is about to explain. She says, yes, I can, like, I have an explanation, but it'll have consequences. And before she gets the chance, 
Julia comes in, saves the day, kills the Dark King from behind. She also looks good. It's it's like a, a fencing stance she has when she yeah. like stabs him to the back. In the centurion outfit. I have never yeah, been more will. upset to see Julia in my entire life. And not because ben. I wanted that to be Fensical Wahlberger. So goddamn bad. Easily could have been. It. It easily could have been. The writers right? definitely had a conversation, like who should we pick? Because they're both they're the two options. They're both together in the in the room when they decide to go. That totally should have been Fen. Fen has the quote earlier in the episode where it's not like we could just walk up to him and stab him. And that's what they did. And it should have been her who did it. Thank you. I agree. Whatever. So Dark King's dead. No way he comes back. <laughs> they just kind of nod at each other, look down at the Dark King's body. And we don't really get anything else. The next scene is just, it cuts to them in, it's almost like a locker room. Like they're just changing after a game, like having a conversation. And it's Mar- you and Margo and Elliot back in their respective bodies. And they're just like, hey, like, what did you say while you were in my body? What did you say while you were in my body? It's <laughs> just absolute devastation to both of them. <laughs> I mean, Elliot perfectly summarizes it. I mean, he even says yes. So in summation, we're both equally skilled at destroying our own happiness. Fucking yep. love that quote. I'm glad you yeah. had it. So good. And he, I love how, too, he says he didn't want to have the conversation with Josh, but he was just like, he's too persistent. <laughs> <laughs> the damn macaroons. Josh yeah. is goat. Margo also said that Charlton's going to hang in Elliot's beach memories for a little while. The Seb thing was a little bit hard on him, which makes me <laughs> a little bit sad because I feel like that means we're not going to get Charlton for a couple episodes, probably because they didn't want to shell out the budget. But yeah, that is kind of sad. They also, wouldn't put that line in. You know, A quote that I would like to say before we, we dip off is that Margo tells Elliot to calm him down. Or not to calm him down, but to kind of make him feel better. And this is like the most Margo way to make someone feel better ever when she's like, he was hot and complicated. Those are the ones worth banging. Margo Margo's giving him good advice. She also says that like, listen, dude, you have had horrible luck with boys recently, but that doesn't mean you don't deserve love. I feel like Elliot's starting to internalize a lot of this stuff and starting to think that there's something wrong with him. And Margo's just got his back like, nah, dude, like stay in the game. You got this. You've just had some bad luck. I always love a scene where it's just Elliot talking to Margo. Some really bad luck. The next scene, the last scene, the 10 second scene, we get just the Dark King. They didn't do anything with his dead body. They just left him there and they ran away. And they really should have done something because it just pans over it, pool of blood all around him. All of a sudden, gasps for breath and he's sitting up. Guess he's still alive. Did you guys yeah. see that coming? Chop it's- this dude into a million pieces. <sighs> yeah, right? You always go for the head. What did we learn in Infinity War? Yeah. Honestly, TV, movies, the one thing I've learned is always double tap Hell from yeah. Zombieland. Yep. Double tap. Once you kill dude, if you stab him in the back, cut that head off. Yep. No coming back from that. Doesn't matter. Come so, on. like shit. <laughs> the only thing I'm feeling right now is that it was the tree they cut down was the wrong conduit. So at, at the moment when Julius stabs DK, did you you guys thought that was the end of his arc or, you know, what I thought it was dead. I don't know. It <laughs> felt a little bit anticlimactic I, because there were so many more questions about the Dark King. And I don't think that they would give us answers if he was dead. So I had an inkling that he was coming back. But the fact that he was only dead for the span of five episode minutes was pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I thought they would at least wait till the beginning of next episode to give us that. Yeah, I think it's pretty impossible 
in the moment when he gets run through with the sword to not think that he's dead. <laughs> but I would agree with B. Times that it would be horribly anticlimactic, and I would be upset if that was the end of him. His um his conduit is definitely uh, the world tree that they talked about that grew from the seed. That's what I'm saying. Whoa. Okay. Okay, Kyle. Getting places. Check next to the rook. I like that so, theory. Do you think he's going to be mad at Elliot for stabbing him? Uh, I mean, now that they're switched back, they could probably... <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I didn't even think about the the fallout of the Dark King still being alive and being able to persecute them for killing them. I'm not sure if he would be completely malicious or if he would just be like, what the fuck, guys? Like, what's really going on here? It's very <laughs> telling that he actually says... I mean, you could tell he cares about Elliot because in the scene when the knife comes out, he's like, what's going on? Are you, are you enchanted? Like, what, what's your deal? You know, he yeah. didn't believe it's actually Elliot in the first place. I think in the next episode or two, we're going to get some revelations on the Dark King that is going to make him more of a good guy than a bad guy. And I think everyone's going to align together to face this taker slash even bigger existential crisis threat. That's what I see coming. I Also, Dark King is Rupert Chatwin. So like... Plum's going to come in. It's going to be a whole chat one thing. I don't know. I'm going to be so pissed if this entire season goes by and his name is just Seb. <laughs> nothing to like nothing special about him. He's just some dude. All right. So we got two big theories here. We got and I know your Rupert chat one thing came a while ago. I just wasn't on the pod. So we got Kyle with the world tree and we got B times with the Rupert chat one. Those are both some good theories, man. I like it. All right. I'll give you a buy to get one free. End of the series, Todd and Fenn, endgame. Book it. Whoa. I need it. Okay. I need it. Another rook check. Let's see. Let's um, see. Put that on the board. They're um, perfect for each other. Skipping past the fact that Fenn is currently married to Elliot. Bro, that's that is that just a small hurdle? not still a thing. Is that true? I assumed as soon as he got banished, that marriage kind of just dissolved. But yeah, it's a great question. I feel like <laughs> they're still technectically. No, nah, yeah, I guess if he's. Nah, yeah, 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 bro. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right. I don't know. That's Todd's. That's Todd's. Those are Todd's toes, baby. Yeah, those are Todd's <laughs> toes, no doubt. Oh, he's uh, gonna be having fun with those worms. I just want great things from a boy. So yeah, hmm. well, Fen is great things, man. We love Fen. Are we doing a bang kill Mary? Have we done one for every one? I think we have. Yes. To. Yeah. Yeah. We have to. yeah. This was a one? big fan episode. We could do Fen, Zelda, and. Marina. Oh, I like Fen. I like wow, Fen. You just whipped that up. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's, that's a pretty good one. Like, yeah, I that's think... actually. Damn, baby. That is a good one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we oh, good? Shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, I think Kathleen's going to be pissed that we do a Marina one and she's not. Yeah. In it. Holy shit. We love Marina, too. All right. <laughs> so, Zelda, Fen, Marina, what do you do? Go. <sighs> Anyone want to go first? I feel like that was you just yeah, stepping up to the plate when you started <laughs> yeah. talking. I know. All right, all right. I'll go first. I think I'm hoping it's all across the board that we're marrying Fenn. She's just the best. I feel like Elliot lost on that deal, not being a good husband to her. Uh, Marina, I just think she's crazy. She's hot when she's she's got that weird goth thing going on. I don't know about goth technically, but I love Marina. Uh, I have to bang Marina because I'm not marrying her. She's too she's too crazy. She's she'll she'll definitely uh, cause some problems for me if we marry her. But I can't give it up. So bang Marina and Zelda. I'm sorry, but 
I got to let her go. Okay, I'll go next. So I am going to marry Fenn. I might even fuck around and take her last name. I'll be Kyle Wahlberger. <laughs> I don't even care because Fenn is awesome. I would love to give her the baby that she so desperately wants. I'm going to kill Marina because Marina is just a little wacky. I like Jimmy said, I can't marry her, but I can't bang her because I absolutely need to bang Zelda. Zelda is hot with those glasses and the fucking arm pose. We're banging <laughs> in the library. It's just, I, I, I can't even imagine not saying bang Zelda. Kyle, I just I had just, to switch positions, man. I just <laughs> had to shift in my sheet after I heard that. Kyle, I just need to know, do you think she has that arm position during sex too? Hell yeah. <laughs> I'll make her She's, seize up so it's just stuck there. <laughs> Yeah. Is that how it happened? Do you think she was permanently jerking off to you guys? And that's just why her hands are like that. It's just, okay. it's just, you thought she was pterodactylin? Yeah, just a natural <laughs> position. Dude, okay. she was in the she was in the drug realm forever. That's what a do good you think point. she was doing in there? She true, but she has experience. That's okay. true, man. I might hmm. take it back. I forgot how, Dude, how crazy okay. I got. I'm doing I'm doing mine. Marrying Fen because she's the best. Killing Marina because she terrifies me. And Kyle convinced me dude she has experience she's a master magician she knows all the pleasure spells i'm going banging zelda dude she's hot ball's just moving all around man I, dude this, this conversation is too much dude <laughs> take my shirt off <laughs> okay so i'll go too and this is gonna be basic yeah mary fenn obviously she's just like this goofy person she, i i also feel like she would be like a great wife with yep. like just general things that you will want from a wife. Like great cook is a huge plus. I feel like she's a great cook. Um, daughter of a wife maker. Like she's probably, you know, she's probably pretty independent, you know, knows how to take care of herself. So yeah, did all Mary fan. Did you say daughter of a wife maker? Knife maker. I may have okay. said wife maker. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. he was both at this point. Honestly, yeah. Right here, I'm the wife maker, baby. <laughs> anyway. Is that what you call your penis? forward. <sighs> now it is <laughs> so i'll bang marina she since season one i've had like a giant crush on me marina i think she's just dropped dead gorgeous and as far as the character goes like i could have all the goodness of her without the fact that she's like an awful human being so yeah i'll just bang her and unfortunately zelda is just the odd man out so i'll kill zelda but no animosity towards zelda i think she was a very competitive name to put in this trio if you bang Marina, you're definitely risking your wife maker in that transaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, so Gotta risk it to get the biscuit, baby. True. <laughs> That's so true. Keep an eye out for our continued coverage of The Magicians. We're going to be covering each episode of Season 5 week by week. As always, if you like what you heard, give Benchdown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BenchdownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Benchtown TV, and thanks for listening. Peaches and plums, motherfuckers. Jesus, is clits. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.